0: What are we doing? I was asking myself that question this week as I thought about starting a sermon series on our vision in the midst of the fourth wave of the pandemic with our barbecue being canceled and seniors ministry being canceled and so many things in our world, increasingly things in our world, not the way they're supposed to be. And I thought to myself, as I suspect many of you have, what are we doing? is now really the right time to be talking about the vision that God has given us. There's so many problems around our world, our country, our province, our city. And as Hans did such a beautiful job praying for, there's many different people that have different visions for how to solve them and how to fix them. So what are we doing? Well, we are doing, I think, I hope, what Christians have done for many years. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking to God and saying, God, what would you have us do in this time? Who are you? And who are you to us? What would you have us do? And who would you have us be? And so we're going to spend the next number of weeks this fall looking at our vision statement. And you can see it up on the screen behind me. Reaching out. Drawing in, creating community. thats a vision statement that we came up with as a church before I was part of our we. Two years ago, almost already, River Park came up with that statement. And of course, there's uh, all kinds of nuance and detail and background to that and fleshing out that needs to happen for that statement. What does it mean for us to reach out? And who are we reaching out to and drawing in? What kind of community do we want to create? And so that's what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But to begin this service, or excuse me, to begin this sermon, I want to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading it uh, from the First Nations translation, in part because the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation is coming, but also in part because uh, at least one member of our church was a part of the uh, translation committee, or or the organization that helped with the translation committee. So, let's read together. You can follow along on the screen or at home. I'm assuming most of us don't have this translation of the Bible. So, I invite you to hear these words. This might be a passage of Scripture that you're familiar with, but maybe you can hear it with new ears this morning. So then, my sacred family members, because Creator has shown us such mercy and kindness, I now call on you to offer your whole beings, heart, mind, and strength, to the great spirit as a living sacrifice. Do this in a sacred and spiritual manner that will make his heart glad. Do not permit the ways of this world to mold and shape you. Instead, let creator change you from the inside out in the way that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. He will do this by giving you a new way of thinking, seeing and walking. Then you will know for sure what the great spirit wants for you. Things that are good, that make the heart glad, and that help you to walk the path of becoming a mature and true human being. Because creator in his great kindness has made me a message bearer, I give, you, I give this message to each of you. Do not think too highly of yourself. Instead, understand that the great spirit calls us to different purposes in answer to our trust in him. For just as our bodies have many different members, and each member has a different purpose, it's the same way with the body of the chosen one. We are members of his body, and each member belongs to the others. So far, the reading of God's word. As we begin This new series on our new vision statement, reaching out, drawing in, creating community. I get the joy to exhort you as God's people, the people of River Park Church toward, as I see it anyway, two tasks. First, to see and understand how our vision statement is rooted in the biblical mission of God and God's people. And second, to live into what it means for us as River Park Church to to be a part of God's diverse and unified family, and to play our part in building God's kingdom together. Sermons, as God's word comes to us in many different ways, it's never just for hearing. It's also for applying it to our lives and for living it in our world. Pastor Harrison and I have worked many hours together already on this series, and we're planning on many more and while I get the honor of preaching about three quarters of the sermons, I just want to acknowledge his partnership in our ministry together uh, and in these sermons going forward. It's been instrumental and I continue to value it and value partnering with him greatly. And we also look forward to hearing him as a congregation several times during the course of this series. You can see the title slide behind me. We've titled this sermon series, Mosaic, Diverse People, One." family. Because Paul's words to the Romans, which I just read a few minutes ago, summarize what it means for us to be a Mosaic church. That in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I know at the outset, as I asked, that there are those of us that are asking, what are we doing? Maybe you think to yourself that this vision for a diverse congregation and one family is, well, it sounds beautiful, but maybe it feels unrealistic. Or you look around and wonder, where are all the people who are, look different from me, who are different from me? I encourage you in this season, in this difficult season, to continue to ask those questions. Continue to reflect, to wonder, and not just to ask those questions in, this, in the quiet of your own heart, but to share those questions with me, with others. It's in dialogue and in asking and really seeking an answer. That God promises that when we ask, when we seek, we will find, that when we ask and when we knock, the door will be opened. So let's continue to wonder. But as I already said, I want to, in this series and in this morning's sermon in particular, encourage you to see how our vision statement is rooted in Scripture, in the story of God, and how we are called to participate in the ongoing story of God. And I'm going to argue this morning that the picture of a diverse people making up one family is not just, uh, a, is not just biblical in the sense that it's a, it's a valid biblical Uh, interpretation, but that actually that one uh, diverse people making up one family is actually the biblical, uh, the biblical way to read scripture. It's the inescapable goal. It's the end of the biblical vision of the kingdom of God. What we're going to see, especially next week, the people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language gathered around the throne, worshiping the lamb. And I'm going to challenge you to see your part in it. To see what it means for you to participate in the mission and the vision that God has given River Park Church. Because after all, life in the kingdom of God is not first for other people. It's for us. It's for those of us who hear the words of Jesus and who receive the word or who who call God our father. Who receive the words of the Lord. It's for us to be changed first. The pattern of our world is sitting around waiting for everyone else and everything else to change. But each of us as Christians needs to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The transformation that Paul talks about in Romans 12 is hard work. It requires attention and focus, self-sacrifice and study. And most of all, it requires God's love. And his grace. And so it's my prayer that as we dive into scripture together, as we continue through this sermon series together, that we will begin to under, understand ourselves as a congregation and our context better, but also that we will learn to grow together and make room for each other to flourish in that community that we are creating as we also reach out and draw in, guided by the Holy Spirit. So as we sit in the midst of this difficult situation in the life of our world in the life of our country, our province and our city, I want, to be, I want to focus our energy or focus our attention this morning on God. Let's just look at God for a few moments. Reformed theology tells us that scripture reveals one God in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Athanasian Creed, one of our three Reformed creeds, uh, that goes all the way back to the 200s AD, talks about the Trinity this way: it says we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in Unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the son, the Father is a distinct person, and the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Neil Planning, a Reformed theologian, talks about Trinitarian communion. A bit of a tongue twister, but really that each person of the Trinity serves and submits to another. But perhaps the most beautiful way I've seen the Trinity picture it is by this painting from Russian painter Andrei Rublev in the 1400s. It's a visualization of the three visitors coming to see Abram, Abraham in Genesis 18. But more than that, do you see in this image how each person of the Trinity is bowing ahead to the others? The three persons are distinct. But as the Athanasian Creed says, their divinity, their glory, their majesty is equal and one. As we pause for a moment, just invite you to wonder, wouldn't you love to sit at that table? Not the table with Abraham and Sarah, but to share a meal with our triune God, to be in the middle of that and witness Father, Son, and Holy Spirit nodding their head, each in love and humility and service to the other. What an amazing thing it would be to experience the intimacy of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, we can't, we can't fully imagine that. Paul talks about now, now, we can see, now we see dimly as through a mirror. And Paul's mirror in the first century was polished metal, like looking into a dirty spoon. But only then, when we are joined with God, then we will see clearly. And yet, this is what we are invited to taste and to see in communion, which we get to celebrate together in just a few minutes. Communion is about being drawn into the community of the Trinity, It's about being, even for a few moments, joined with God and with his church in all times and all places to taste and see the amazing love that flows from our diverse yet perfectly unified God. To experience, along with all of God's people from different generations and genders, from different classes and ethnic groups around the world, to experience and meet with our God and to celebrate how our diverse God or how the the diversity of people around the world and the church in all times and all places, how each of us and all of us embody some part of God's diverse image and how each of us and all of us are invited to be a part of God's unified family. In Genesis 2, God creates, well, everything. The Greeks call it the cosmos, which is just their word for everything. But in creating everything, God also brings two diverse people together, man and woman. The creation story also tells us two things. About this, about this bringing of, or this creation of everything and bringing these two people together. First, Genesis tells us that it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make an Azer suitable for him. Now, probably you've heard that word translated as maybe helper, but a better translation I think would be co laborer or even partner. God makes a partner for Adam, for the man, because it's not good for him to be alone. And then the second thing you can see on the screen there as well, that God tells, or that Genesis tells us, is a kind of summary statement of why this story of creation of everything and the creation of the man and the woman, why this is important. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, if we just pause and think about these two passages for a moment, God on the one hand says that creation's not good or at least that it's not complete until these two different and diverse people have been brought together. But also, when you think about that second verse there, Adam and Eve didn't have a father or mother to leave. So what is God trying to tell us? What is Genesis trying to tell us? Well, as as the New Testament goes on to illustrate, Adam and Eve are the representative heads of the human race. Just the next chapter, Adam calls Eve the mother of all the living. Well, Paul reminds us that Adam's role as a representative head when he says in 1 Corinthians that in Adam all die. I keep using this word diverse because scripture pictures for us that every human being Regardless of our age or generation, our gender, our social status, our ethnicity, every human being traces our spiritual ancestry, our spiritual parentage back to Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, or this story, is not first a story about what it means to be married. It's a story about what it means to be human. It takes all of us as humans, to image God well. It's not good for one of us to do it alone. Adam and Eve and all of us who come after them have the ability and the responsibility to bear God's name and to bear his likeness, to bear the image of our diverse but unified God. We are a diverse people. But it's only as one family that we're able truly to image God well and to, to more fully get a picture of who God is and how he's working among us. And so as we begin to think about what does it mean for us as a community to reach out and who are we reaching out to? Who are we trying to draw in and what are we welcoming them to? What kind of community do we want to create? Or more importantly, what kind of community does God want to create in our midst? This is our jumping off point. We are reaching out to diverse and differentiated people who we want to invite to be part of one family. And we're intending to draw people into our family and trying to create a particular kind of community. Not just a social club for people who are mostly the same anyway and just need another thing to do together on the weekend. But a mosaic church. Diverse people from different generations, from different genders, social statuses, and ethnicities. People who celebrate our differences, who are eager to learn about and love each other. Who are united in our love for God. And most importantly, united in God's love for us. So then when we reach out, when we draw in, and when we create community, and this is really important, we're not hoping that people will become more like us, whoever we are. We're hoping that people will become more like God. That they'll become better image bearers of God. That each person will begin to see herself or himself as a partner in sharing the diverse but unified image of God. I know that I keep using this word diverse, and I know when I say that, I think most of us think first of ethnic diversity. And our minds go there because each ethnic group is already familiar with generational differences and gender differences and socioeconomic differences. Ethnic diversity is just the most noticeable kind of diversity. But our vision vision is one that we can't do by ourselves, not, not as one or not alone. If we're going to be the kind of community that represents the image of God well, then we want to be and we need to be the kind of community that welcomes the image of God in everyone we meet. To be the community that is excited to love and to understand and to cultivate the image of God in everyone we meet. And so we celebrate that youth are different from seniors, that each group has its own dignity and its own needs. We don't ask youth to act more like seniors, and we don't ask seniors to act more like youth. They're good enough at doing that on their own. I had one of our seniors this morning tell us that he was 39. Likewise, single people have their own dignity, their own place and role in the church, which is different from those who are married with children and different yet from those who are married without or from empty nesters. Single people don't need to get married to find their value in the church or in the family of God. Just like poor people don't need to become rich Each of us has our own dignity and our own diversity. God does not withhold his love from us until we've crossed a certain threshold in our life. Isn't that wonderful? That God doesn't wait for us to reach a certain point of development or achievement and then shower us with his love. He gives it to us fully and freely because of his son, Jesus whoever we are, when we turn to him and call him our Savior and our Lord. And we, as the church, have the opportunity and the joy to emulate God and how he welcomes us and to share that open-armed welcome with others. As I said, the story of Adam and Eve pictures for us what it means to be human. Diverse people partnering together to be image bearers of God. Being image bearers of God means that God designed us to exist as he exists. To nod our heads like the Trinity in that picture. To nod our heads to one another in mutual submission and love and respect. To recognize recognize one another as distinct and diverse people. Partners together in imaging God. We don't carry the image of God just as individuals. We do it together as a family, as a community. And only in, our, only in our diversity can we really testify to the fullness of who God is. That's what we mean when we say diversity. That our different ethnic groups and ages and genders and socioeconomic situations, that all of these proclaim the manifold glory of God. And only together do we form the unified body of Christ. And that could be the sermon. We could just wrap it up right there and say, Isn't it wonderful how much God loves us and invites us and welcomes us? And all we have to do is be like God. Except for sin, of course. Except for all the many ways in which not only we personally, but the sinful and broken nature of our world gets in the way. I'm only going to touch on really one of the communal effects of sin because not only are our time and space limited, but also I think each of us is uh, intimately aware, especially these days, of the ways in our own personal lives that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. So here we go. If Adam and Eve picture for us what it means to be human, to be diverse people partnering together to be image bearers of God, then Genesis 3, the story of the fall, shows us what happens when diverse people are no longer interested in imaging God, but try to make a name for themselves. Many of you, maybe all of you, know the story. A serpent comes to Eve and tempts her and says, You can be like God, and Eve and Adam both are tempted. They decide they want to be like God all on their own. They want to cut God out of their relationship, but God's perfect plan for unity and diversity is damaged. It just—it simply doesn't work when to have diverse people working for their own name, their own interests. Their own ends. It doesn't work to have people who are diverse and different trying to make a name for themselves and then in inviting others to say, hey, come be like me. Or taking care of their own needs without first, as Paul says in Romans, humbling themselves, considering others better than themselves. Just like a married person who lives as if he were single who gratifies his own sinful or his own selfish desires. It doesn't work. A marriage can't work like that. And likewise, a relationship between any kind of diverse people doesn't work when we're not first caring for the image of God in one another and in our midst. That's true across generations, across social statuses, across genders, and across ethnic groups. Genesis goes on to show us the further communal effects of this sinful desire to make a name for ourselves. If it's not clear in Genesis 3, then it becomes even more clear in Genesis 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. There it couldn't be more clear. People gather together and they literally say, Come, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens, and that way we'll make a name for ourselves. But God comes down to these rebellious people and he he confuses their language. Again, I think many of you probably know this story, so I'm not going to get into it. But God's reaction when the people say, let's make a name for ourselves, right? Apart from God, God comes down and confuses their language. Well, that tells us two things. First, that refusing to be an image bearer of God... And trying to make a name for ourselves is always about setting up one group or one subset of humanity over and against another. It's why we value men over women. Why we value youth or oh, and youthfulness over wisdom and, and, and age. It's why we value one ethnic group's way of being or doing as the best way and don't value others. When we, when we refuse to go God's way, we inevitably set up power games and we insist that everybody else be like me. I've made a name for myself. Come be like me. But the second thing that this story tells us in Babel is that God's solution to the problem of unity, to the lack of, or to people unwilling to Honor the image of God in one another. God's solution to the problem of unity is more diversity, not less. God is not trying to make diverse people in our world fit into one frame of a white man and a white woman and a few white kids who all speak English. English was a, barely a, a speck in the great, great, great grandfather's eye. It was already at Babel, ethnic diversity, generational diversity, gender diversity. And what does God do with people who are trying to exercise coercive power? He adds language into the mix. Why? The beautiful diversity of God's world keeps us from being able to exercise coercive power over each other. The greater our diversity is, the easier it is for us to humbly acknowledge our inability to make a name for ourselves. By trying to make other people like me or trying to force others to do things my way. So when we see diversity, we can celebrate that each of us and all of us in our different ways form a different part of the image of God. That each one of us is one member of the same big body. That we all have different functions and we all have different parts. But it's only in partnership that together we make up the body of Christ. This is why the community that we're aiming to build, that community we're looking to create is not a homogenous one or a monocultural one where we all are the same age or certainly not all the same gender or the same ethnicity or the same in our socioeconomic status. The kind of community that we want to create is a mosaic. To be clear, mosaic means, and somebody else in our congregation put it this way, they said, well, really, that's just kind of multi-everything. Mosaic means that we value as equal partners, people from different ethnic groups that we also within those ethnic groups see and celebrate different situations, different family situations, single, married, family and children, different generational groups, different genders, different socioeconomic realities. Each of us and all of us are integrally important as image bearers of God and as partners in representing God's image here in Calgary in 2021 and beyond. The model that those of us in the major group might think by default when we talk about multicultural ministry is a model that I think we have to unlearn. It's a model that many of us have inherited that says, well, we made a name for ourselves. Now, everybody else should come and join us. But that's not the model of scripture, is it? It's the model of Babel. It's what professionals call cultural assimilation. We have one way of doing things, and it's not going to change. That's the model, by the way, that led to the creation and proliferation of residential schools in Canada. We have one model. There's one way that we should educate children. Look at the damage that it did. Imagine what would have happened if that way of thinking had won out at First Christian Reformed Church when it was established in Calgary in 1952. We might all still be speaking Dutch. And I would know more than just the bad words in Dutch. Instead, praise be to God, the community that we are trying to build, the community that God has led us as a congregation to build is a mosaic community. Where we recognize that we only fully image God when we do it by partnering together. That we regularly find new ways to partner with the people that God brings to us because it's not good for us to be alone. To complete the picture that God is drawing, we recognize and celebrate that each piece of the mosaic needs to keep its color and its shape and its size. We don't try to erase or change the other pieces of the mosaic. No piece has one control over the other pieces. The picture of the kingdom of God that uh, it's the picture of the kingdom of God and God's vision for the kingdom that connects all of these pieces in the right places and the right times and the right ways. That in fact, we can only be one family when like God, we celebrate the diversity that exists in our midst. We can only be one family when we learn the humble love and mutual submission of the persons of the Trinity. When we offer the grace and love of God to each other on a weekly and on a daily basis. It's only when we humbly think of others as better than ourselves that we begin to make room for others to flourish. And bit by bit, piece by piece, we gain a better and a brighter glimpse of the beautiful mosaic that God is making with each of us as a different and a diverse part. And so this morning, I want to close with this mosaic image of Jesus. This is a put together already a thousand years almost after Jesus was living and built into the Hagia Sophia, the Church of Holy Wisdom in Istanbul in Turkey today. It's made up of thousands of different colored pieces. Each one a slightly different shape and size. But all of them coming together to make this beautiful picture. You only have to change one to ruin the picture. May that be so with us as well. That we are so eager to honor the image of God in one another that we wouldn't consider for even a moment trying to change what God has done, what God is doing in our diversity. But rather that we would see and celebrate our differences, that we would encourage one another and build each other up so that each part glows, that each part shines as together we make up the image of Christ. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we end this message with the question that I began. What are we doing? Your vision for your people, a diverse but unified family, is so great and so expansive. God, we can't do it on our own. It might seem nice. It might seem beautiful, but also impossible to many of us, unrealistic. But God, we thank you and praise you that you have not called us to follow you alone. That you have sent your spirit to dwell, in a rich, to dwell richly in our hearts, to fill us with all the gifts and everything we need to humble ourselves to empty ourselves of the desire for making a name for ourselves. And instead, Lord, to be filled with your love, with your peace, with your humility. And to share all what you fill us up with, with those that you have set in the community around us, both here at River Park Church, in Altador, in Calgary, and beyond. God, meet us This morning, you promised that your word will not return empty. So as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, we ask also that we would meet the word made flesh as we celebrate communion together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.